I think that people would feel a lot better about Biden and thus his poll numbers would go up. And the only way that's going to happen, like pretty much it's either this or Donald Trump becomes president again, is if he... Hey, everyone, you're listening to a free preview of the Politics Podcast. Um, In this episode, Matt and I will discuss a series of pretty wild developments that we think should have important ramifications for the campaign. Uh, So the biggest one is the judgment in Donald Trump's New York civil fraud trial, which puts Trump on the hook for almost half a billion dollars in damages and prohibits him from running businesses in the state for three years. Uh, Paid subscribers will hear a bit more about how this dovetails with other bad news for Trump, including the arrest and indictment of the GOP's top Biden impeachment witness um, for falsifying all of his allegations against Joe Biden, Um, uh, the building momentum for aid to Ukraine, uh, the murder of Alexei Navalny, the the leader of the Russian resistance. Um, So we hope you enjoyed the conversation. And if you like what you're hearing and want to listen to the whole episode, uh, just upgrade your subscription to paid at politics.fm. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Politics Podcast. I'm Brian Boitler. I'm Matthew Iglesias. We're going to kick this week off with the ins and outs of the big judgment in Donald Trump's civil fraud trial, um, why Trump is suddenly on the hook for upwards of half a billion dollars in cash. Um, then we're going to uh, kind of grab the corkboard and and red string and connect some dots between this ruling uh, and other Trump scandals to, to try to create as big a picture as possible of, of why this matters sort of beyond the immediate catharsis of Trump facing real consequences. Yes. So, so, so I mean, the, the catharsis is good too. We can dwell on that if you'd like. Let's, well, but let's, let's start a little bit literally because I, I, okay. I feel like, I feel like one of the signature flaws of, you know, the Trump discourse has been this, this tendency to go meta. Um, so quickly. It is um, shocking and surprising to see such a hefty judgment delivered against a prominent business person and celebrity of any sort, much less a former president of the United States <laughs> and ongoing candidate for president. Um, Trump has skated past, um, you know, a, a uh, libel verdict against him related to his um, sexual assaulting. He has previously- I what laugh, I- but- it's just what like, I always thought was the, the litany most, is just insane. What I always thought was the most underrated Trump scandal was when he settled a fraud lawsuit about Trump University. Um, and this one, I mean, I understand why the plaintiffs, you know, agreed to take the settlement, uh, but by allowing him to avoid admitting guilt or going through a trial about it, you know, I think we missed some telling character information about like what is Trump about so what what happened in this civil fraud case like what's the what's the deal i the the deal is as as i understand it is that it's essentially the amount of money that the state of new york has deduced that trump defrauded from lenders um he he would um uh not have received financing for many of the loans he's been he's been given over over many years, if these lenders knew uh, how much worse his financial condition was than he represented to them, so he got the loans from them, and then he also got lower interest rates 
on those loans as a result of the false sense that he was really good for this money. Um, and when you when you add it all up, it's like three hundred and sixty some billion dollars of sort of ill gotten gains plus um, another ninety or so for this unpaid interest, this like imputed interest that this that the state has determined and judge or justice, I guess it's weird in New York. Justice Arthur Engron has ascertained that he would have been on the hook for if he'd done everything by the book. Um, so I like the nature of the fraud is essentially what Michael Cohen um, testified that he had done when he went before the House Oversight Committee back in 2017 and said that Trump would, for uh, for um, the purposes of obtaining loans, overvalue his properties, and then for the purposes of paying taxes, undervalue them. Uh, and you, you can't do these things without committing fraud along the way. Yeah, and you know, I mean, this is an interesting topic because it, it there's a there's a you know a, a fraud uh, way of doing it, and there's you know a, a policy issue that this relates to, right? I mean, it is common practice in corporate America for there to be incredible divergence between the profits that you report to shareholders and the profits that you report to the IRS, um, and and that gets into a you know like the real scandal is what's legal kind of territory. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then as we all know, I mean, uh, lots of people have simple taxes, uh, but you know, people in the media industry, we tend to have somewhat complex tax situations and you can get, you know, more aggressive uh, with what you want to claim and you can get into outright fraud with what you want to claim. And there is a limited enforcement capacity uh, of the IRS on these kinds of issues. And Republicans over the years have very deliberately moved to sort of kneecap the ability to do audits of high net worth individuals and, and business owners. And this has been one of the big policy fights of the Biden administration has been to increase compliance with tax collection Uh from rich people. Um, Republicans have been fighting against that, you know, because they like rich people in general, uh, but also like people like Donald Trump benefit very directly and very personally from lax enforcement around these rules. I've seen some takes to the effect of that, like, Trump has been like singled out here in in a way that most people wouldn't face this kind of scrutiny. And I think that's like probably true, but true like in a in the opposite way of like this is unfair. Like too many people are unfairly skating by on dubious business practices that you know happen to become politically salient in this case, and that you know there's a real effort underway to make it harder for people to cheat on their taxes and commit these kind of frauds. Um, and you know it's. It's worthy of discussion. I mean, not just as a as a Trump scandal, but is really one of the central like questions of our time. I I there's a, you know always a line I think when prominent politicians end up under the scrutiny of law enforcement or congressional oversight, which is this tendency for their allies to say like this is sort of unfair scrutiny. In any other circumstance, nobody would care, um, and you're just trying to take down the president and like. There is, I think, always some element, some some extent to which that's true, right? Like um, when you're the president, the opposing party takes interest in whether you do things by the books or not, right? Um, but like 
currently Hunter Biden is under indictment for um, for crimes that it seems like he did commit, but that that's probably um, the best example. Is this Hunter Biden gun charge? Thing right, is like that's the kind of thing that a prosecutor might like say he was going to charge you with to get you to cooperate or something like that. But like nobody is ever prosecuted right. in this way. But because it's the president's son, because there's all this pressure on the Justice Department, like they wind up uh, bringing a case. It's not that it's factually dubious. It's just like these cases don't happen. It, it's almost that like if they had found it and then not brought it, then suddenly it looks like you're doing a favor for the president's son. And so there's this extra impetus to do it. And so it's like, it's maybe like a little borderline and his lawyers will probably use that to their advantage at trial. But it's not like an outrage. It's not like an abuse of Justice Department powers to go after Joe Biden's enemy, his own son. And obviously like the Justice Department has nothing to do with Donald Trump's New York civil fraud. But I do think that it's not just that they found this because they were scrutinizing Donald Trump for being president. It's that it was actually fairly egregious. I mean, I don't, I don't know much about how dirty the New York real estate world is. Um, and I gather that like, it's easy to be naive and, and, um, and just assume that most people are like very ethical in that world. And then Donald Trump is this really gross outlier, but like the, the fraud uncovered and the way it is detailed in, Engron's uh, ruling and the way the the sort of special master who's going through Trump's books puts it essentially that like this is not an organization that can exist without engaging in mass amounts of fraud does seem like it it he's kind of in a in a class on his own or at least in a class among like really seedy individuals who have no business in. Well, affairs. and this is a thing, you know, people can forget about Trump. But I, so I was um, I was watching season one of Suits uh, on the airplane uh, the other <laughs> Another day. Another one I because have not watched. The, the Netflix algorithm is promoting it very heavily. Um, so this aired in 2011. And in one scene, you know, they are trying to establish what a hotshot uh, a particular attorney is and how he helps people get away with all kinds of things. And his secretary says, you remember that big Trump scandal from last year? And the guy she's talking to says, no. And she says, exactly. Right. And so it's just like, <laughs> that was like before the birther stuff, like Trump's primary reputation among people in the know was as a really shady operator. Um, and he did stuff. I mean, I, I wrote a, a piece for Vox years ago about when Trump had a publicly traded company, you know, because the, the whole Trump organization is this privately held sort of opaque accounting things. Uh, but when he went bankrupt with his Atlantic City casinos, the way he got out of that was he launched a publicly traded company. He sold shares to lots of, you know, um, gullible middle class people. This was in the, you know, late 90s stock market boom. Um, and then he offloaded lots of his personal debts onto the Trump company, right? And then the company went bankrupt. But that got Donald Trump personally out of bankruptcy. And it was like the perfect Trump thing where I feel like he's often um, like politics snobs 
will like look down on Trump because he's not conversant in like what CBO scores mean and stuff like that and decide that he's dumb, but he's not like he's very successful. It's just that the thing that he's successful at is these kind of really sharp business practices. Um, I think that, you know, what he did with Trump World Casino and Resorts was not illegal under the rules that pertain. Wait, really? Yeah, but then after Enron blew up, like new laws were adopted. Like, I think that would be illegal now. But Trump now wants to launch a SPAC, uh, which is a kind of um, innovation that... uh, unscrupulous people have come up with to get around securities law. And like, this is Trump's genius is for defrauding people. Um, Sometimes in ways that are legal and sometimes in ways that it just turns out you can get away with. And sometimes in ways that it turns out you maybe can't get away with if you go from being, I mean, he used to be an important bipartisan donor. Right. And so he could avoid this kind of scrutiny. Now he's a contentious, polarizing figure. And so he both has allies who promote the idea of total impunity for everything. But he also does have enemies who are like, no, I'm not going to settle this case for pennies on the dollar, the way his old scandals from the 80s mm-hmm. got, went down. And I, I really think that that's like central to like understanding. Trump understanding what's happening in America uh, these days is that you have, as as Marco Rubio uh, put it well back before he became a Trump loyalist, like he's a he's a con man at heart, and that's what like th- that's what this case is about, right? Like this this incredible level of flimflam that's helping him get discount loans and keep moving things forward, and that's how he got out of bad lending in the past. It's how he got back into it, evidently. And it's, um, I don't know, it's bad. It's tawdry. Put, put a pin in the SPAC thing, because I, I want to roll that into yeah. the conversation we're going to have in a minute about, like, can he get out of this mess? <laughs> uh, illegally, legally, whatever. Um, uh, because I want to talk about, you know, the the defense that his loyalists offer for the for the Gene Carroll verdict is that it was sexual abuse, not rape, mm-hmm. which is like a really bad, I think, place to ha- to be if you're writing defenses of Donald Trump. The defense they offer in this case, um, which on its face, I think, might, might reach people, might make people like scratch their heads and wonder if this is really excessive, is, is that they say that this was a, a victimless crime, that nobody, like none of the lenders say that they got stiffed. Um, you know, the the properties exist. They're economically like fruitful businesses in New York. Um, so this was just win, win, win. And um, they went like digging through the books to find a pretext to um, not really criminalize it, but 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 paint these fruitful business practices as like the um, the the work of a scoff law um, in in a way that's unfair. And um, I mean, I think I think this is bullshit. Um, but like, how how would the people who want the mass public to know that it's bullshit explain that to them? I mean, I I thought that you know David Brooks did a pretty good job of, of breaking this down. But I mean, I think I think the core of this is that like the maintaining of 
different sets of parallel books, right? Like is the center of how this Trump financial enterprise has gone. That's what Michael Cohen said. That's what the the accountant, you know, who wound up under legal scrutiny has said. And that it's like, it, it, it's just like the most basic lying uh, that you can find in the world. And I think, you know, there's a realm of attorneys always with anything related to financial scams who can debate like what constitutes um, civil, you know, violations, what is criminal frauds and what's like, I can't believe this is legal. But Mm -hmm. I do think that like journalistically, right? Like what the public needs to understand is actually not the legal ins and outs, but they're just like, what is it that is happening, right? Because there are lots of ways you can make money in business, right? Um, You know, Apple makes money because they sell iPhones and they sell them for much more than it costs to manufacture them. And there's like a lot you could say about Apple's business ethics or the work conditions and those things. But as a consumer, it's like, that's, that's the business, right? Like you like the phones or you don't. Most people do like the phones. They pay what they cost and they cost a lot. And that's like, that's business, I think, as we think of it and capitalism as it's supposed to function. But then there's this world of scams, you know, where like what you do is you trick people. And so much of Trump's businesses operate in that space, you know? And so he gains access to discount credit by saying his properties are worth more than they are. You know, like that's not, whether or not a lawyer can convince somebody somewhere that you are in fact allowed to misrepresent these things, like that's not, um, you you like go through Adam Smith and he's not like, the reason capitalism's good is because people can just like lie to you and bullshit you and take your money based on false pretenses. Like that's like, not in fact good. I mean, what would be the analog, right? Like like in, in so many of these sort of gray area things where it's like the mor- the moral dimension is more important than the legal one. I agree, but then I'm also like, what makes Trump so, part of what makes him so gross to me and I think to a lot of people is that he, his impunity, you know, it isn't just that he's like a bully or even that he's mm-hmm. developed this rabid cult following. It's that he, um, he, it, he, even if like not actually a billionaire, is very rich. And okay. like the analogous thing to what he did to, to generate this verdict, I'm not even sure it's really available to like a a typical poor or working class person, but like what would it look like and what would happen to somebody of uh, our means or less than our means if they secured a loan to buy a house using the same basic tactics that Donald Trump used to accumulate half a billion dollars worth of ill-gotten wealth. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, we we, we had this in the run-up to the, the global financial crisis is we had a lot of sort of fraudulent um, mortgage origination, you know. Um, I think the, the big thing, though, I think is that, like, most people, if you look at it from the other side, like the tax element of this, like, you just can't do it. Right. Like a normal person does not have the opportunity to just like represent to the world like what the the tax value of their assets is. Right. Like you are dealing with um a salary, 
right? Like your employer files a W-2, you own some stock, it's worth what it's worth, and you've got to pay what you owe, right? Trump and, you know, it's not a dozen people, but it's there's tens of thousands of Americans who are in the sufficiently rarefied circle where they have all these hard-to-value private assets and can engage in all kinds of sort of shady games with them. It's not legal, but it's a very basic law enforcement question, right? Like we see all the time, like people get upset, and I think rightly so, when they see people getting away with shoplifting from a CVS because there's like nobody around to arrest them. But the actual amount of money involved in like people stealing laundry detergent is not that high. Um, It is harder to catch people doing these kind of financial frauds, and there are fewer cops on the beat there. And the Republican Party is constantly working to like defund the relevant enforcement agencies because they know that there's just a kind of a small select group of people who even have the ability to make these kinds of uh, to engage in these kinds of shenanigans. I, I think, you know, what the, the best thing for Trump about this is that, you know, there's not a super clear victim in this case, right? Like, all I can say, all I can say is that, like, well, you know, it distorted the, like, overall allocation of capital across the entire global economy. So it's like you and I probably pay like 0.00, like add a lot of zeros, 1% higher interest rates for our mortgage uh, because of Trump's kind of frauds here. And that's like, that's, that's, really the, that, I mean, that's the tough thing about it right now. But the, the broader, I mean, the, the broader issue is that bogus lending is like fine and seems victimless like until it blows up right like well, th- that's the problem and you know like with silicon valley bank right or or all these other kinds of things it's like or the global financial crisis it's like it's fine until it's not fine and then somebody needs to pony up billions of dollars for bailouts i mean what about this idea that it's i mean it's the lenders who have not actually like made a claim against trump but they haven't – I mean, the the allegation is that he lied to them, got favor, like loans on favorable terms that he should not have gotten. Um, and his claim is that they're happy with every, how everything worked out because if they weren't, they would have sued. Um, and, you know, on its face, it's compelling, but this is Donald Trump, right? Like who in the corporate world at this point wants to – be the face of some kind of litigation against Donald Trump because he stole whatever the interest value in this in this ruling is a hundred hundred million dollars. I mean, th- I mean, this is this is why. I mean, because this is why it's true, right? You don't see a lot of legal cases of this nature because, yes, it's like, you know, the like the 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 lender is doing, you know, its own thing here. That being said, like these banks are backstopped by guarantees, right? So like they have kind of financial incentive to take excessively aggressive risks with their loan portfolio. That's why there is financial regulation, all these other kinds of things. But then also, and I think this gets into the the deeper questions that we have here, like Trump is deeply entangled with the political system, with his businesses in ways that are shockingly unethical and that we've become a little bit numb to, right? But I mean, I, I it's, uh, uh, this is like a goofy meme, but like, it's true. Like when we were kids, um, 
or in high school, there was a Superman comics plotline in which Lex Luthor leveraged his wealth and media celebrity to become president of the United States. Um, and, you know, he, he's a supervillain and he like uses his power as president to help uh, Darkseid or somebody like invade the planet Earth, etc. But part of running for president is that he has to divest himself of his ownership in LexCorp uh, because you can't be president and also own operating businesses. That just seemed obvious. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, it's, it's a story about, you know, Kryptonians and supervillains and all this stuff, but it was just like unthinkable in a story. It would be too unrealistic for him to also be running the company because you could too obviously like be bribe and, and corrupt the guy. Um, which we just keep seeing over and over and over again, right? There was a story about how, um, you know, his uh, the, the, the Trump Hotel in D.C. that now isn't a Trump Hotel anymore, how now that it's not Trump's hotel, uh, Republican Party functions aren't being held there anymore. And it's like, you almost like roll your eyes, right? Like how how naive would you have to be to have ever thought this was anything other than the Republican Party fundraisers funneling money directly into Trump's pockets. But like, mm-hmm. that's a huge scandal, right? Like if it turned out tomorrow, not even criminal, right? Just like if it turned out tomorrow that, you know, 1% of all donations going through Act Blue were just going into Joe Biden's pocket, like people would be really upset. You know, like like Democrats would be upset, right? Because that would be Joe Biden would be scamming his supporters, for personal profit, which would be bad. It would reflect poorly on him with swing voters, poorly on him with his base. And Trump has just become completely inured to that kind of thing, you know, where it's like, seems silly to even mention it uh, on some level, but it's like an endless walking, talking financial conflict of interest that makes it hard to credit that any company that does business with him would really want to be tough. Like these are regulated industries. That's a good place to, to transition the conversation, I think, to the to the question, like, why does this matter? Because like, if it's if it's hard to make people care that there's this dispute over whether Trump deserves this money or the lenders who could have charged him higher interest rates deserve this money. Like that seems like maybe like a political wash, like half the country probably or 40% of the country probably believes this is a witch hunt and 50% probably believes this is yet more evidence that Donald Trump is a scumbag. And then there's maybe 10% who you could reach on this, like trying to boil it down to something concrete. Like one of the, um, one of the analogies that um, I saw, I forget who it was, the, the legal reporter, re- respond to some Trump sycophant saying like, Letitia James didn't even bother to, to find somebody harmed by Trump's practices yeah. here. They're like, the law just works this way in general, that if you get pulled over for drunk driving on the on the foot of your driveway before you've pulled onto your property and the cop breathalyzes you, like you're in trouble for having broken the law, even though you made it home without smashing into anyone or anything. Um, and I like, I think that that's a pretty powerful analogy to, to the criminal law, but it's even more powerful when you imagine the difference between a regular person getting caught in that kind of DUI trouble and someone like Donald Trump, who would then try to use his wealth and power to make 
the problem go away. And like, to me, that's quite compelling, but I confess it does kind of take a few layers of explanation to get to like why it's worth anyone getting upset about. Well, I do, I do also want to say, I guess to, to sharpen this, right. Cause I, I, I watched, um, uh, heat a couple weeks ago, you know, it's about bank robbers. And one of the things they say when they're robbing the bank, right. To convince people to not resist them is like, we're not here for your money. We're here for the bank's money. The bank is fully insured, right, et cetera, et cetera. So you could ask someone, it's like, well, why is it wrong to storm into a bank with a bunch of AK-47s and steal all the <laughs> money out of their vault? And it's like, well, okay. So, you know, the depositors, like, they still have their bank accounts, right? You can't steal somebody's bank account by physically stealing money out of a bank vault. And even the bank itself, like is insured by the FDIC. So all that really happens is like the FDIC fund is slightly depleted and they might need to raise deposit insurance fees, which might lead to interest rates on consumer bank accounts being infinitesimally higher. And so it's like, what's the big deal? He's just robbing banks, right? But like, that's stupid because we're living <laughs> you know because like we're, we're living in a society right yeah and like that, you just don't commit fraud like fraud is bad because fraud is bad it almost doesn't a, well because like why is america like richer than some other countries that we may discuss later in this episode. And it's like some of America's wealth and prosperity is like the high education and skill level of our workforce. And some of it is our technological prowess. But like you can just copy technology. Like they have computers in every country around the world. Um, We have like the rule of law in the United States. Like we have a system in which you can walk into a business anywhere in the country and be reasonably confident that the claims being made by that business are more or less true, right? And that you will not just be subject to scams left and right. Uh, That is like not the case if you go to Latin America or if you go to Central Asia, you know, like there are lots of parts of the world where you cannot have confidence in business transactions with strangers because they don't have strong norms, because they don't have the rule of law, because they don't have a legal system that functions. And of course, America is not perfect in that regard, but we are better than most countries and we are made worse by people like Donald Trump, who both on an individual level as an aggressive fraudster, on a kind of systemic level as a proponent of this model of business process, and on a policy level as someone who consistently tries to weaken enforcement of white collar crime, are like dragging us down to, you know, a like Lebanon, Argentina, Russia level of integrity in the system. And like, that's the harm fundamentally. Make America Lebanon again. Um, okay. Let's, um, let's break here, uh, for free subscribers, um, who, if you want to hear us discuss whether Trump is actually screwed by this, um, verdict and what he might do to get around it and how that stuff might matter in this, in this campaign, You can go to politics.fm, pick up a paid subscription and, and follow along.